Good morning and welcome Campbell River Baptist Church to our online service this morning. We're so excited that you can join us from Facebook and from YouTube this morning and enjoy our service of about 30 to 40 minutes. We hope that you have your hot beverage of choice and yeah, have a great rest of your week. Good morning everyone. My name is Erwin and I'm going to be reading this this morning from Psalm 103 verses 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you as angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hey everyone, Emma here. I have a few announcements for you today. The first one is about live streams. So we mentioned last week that we are going to be starting our live streams this fall, and you may wonder what that will look like. Well, it may not look a whole lot different for you. You're still gonna turn us on the screen in the fall at 10 a.m., but we're hoping that a live stream feels a lot more like a Sunday morning. We're gonna be in the auditorium, we have a new live stream set up, and we're gonna be here in real time connecting with you guys. We are so excited excited for how this will turn out. We have lots of things planned and that is what you can hope for. One of the dates that you can look forward to this fall is September 27th. That's going to be our kickoff Sunday. We have some things planned. The ministries will be starting up that day and an event, an in-person event is in the works for that day. So keep an eye out on these services and more details will follow. Something else we would love for you guys to get connected in is small groups. You may have heard us mentioning it on Sunday mornings and on Facebook. We are really wanting to encourage you guys to get connected in a small group in this season. You also may have noticed that our midweek encouragements have changed a little bit. Pastor Dwight is putting out some midweek encouragements, a little teaser of what the sermon is going to be on that Sunday. We've also a few weeks included some small group questions with those, and we are going to be creating a PDF with some small group questions for any group that would like to use it. If your group would like access to this small group PDF, let us know, email us, call us, or shoot us a message on social media and we can get that right to you. Hi everyone, Leora here, Director of Children's Ministries, and I've just been thinking so much about our families right now, the ones that are having to make decisions about what they're going to be doing in the fall, whether they send their kids to school, uh, whether they homeschool, or what does that look like? Right now it feels a lot like they're between a cliff on one side and a massive waterfall on the other side, and you got to make a choice. Do you go off the cliff or do you go into the waterfall? And it's such a hard thing for our families right now. So I had an idea. I know that prayer is powerful and I know community is powerful. So I wanted to invite any families that want to come and pray together and just meet each other, having a moment to just breathe and use the power of prayer in community to just bring the peace of God into our hearts as we make decisions. So on Monday, uh, tomorrow, uh, August 24th, I invite all of you or any of you that can come out at four o'clock to pray together. I ask that you wear a mask just so that we can show love to one another and as you come just to pray. We'll meet just outside of the, the playgrounds down uh, by that big tree in, outside. 
So if you'd like to join me on August 24th at 4 p.m. outside, I would love to have you join me in praying for our community and our families. Hi everybody, Ryan here. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all for praying for me and my family during our time of rest. It was great to have some time together, but I'm glad to be back and here with you guys this morning. I also want to just take a moment and pray for the families. Just like Leora was saying, the families and the situation that is on everybody's mind right now with kids going back to school is near and dear to my heart as I have kids who next year will be facing this same thing. And so we're gonna take a moment and we are just gonna pray together about this situation. And I'm gonna pray for all of the families who have to make a very difficult decision right now. So please join me as we pray for this morning, the message and for the families. Jesus, Lord, we thank you that we can be together here this morning. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your power, Lord, that you come through when we speak to you, when we bring things before you. And so, Jesus, we want to take a moment and we just want to lift up this difficult situation that families are finding themselves in, this unknown of what's going to happen when the kids go back to school and the unknown of what it looks like to possibly homeschool again for another year. And so, Lord, we want to lift up the families. We ask, Lord, that you would guide them, that you would be their wisdom. And Father, we just pray for safety for the kids as they face going back to school and what that could look like. And so, Jesus, we lift all this up. We know, Lord, that you have a plan through all of this, and we just trust you in that. Lord, we also thank you for this morning and for the message that you are going to bring through Pastor Dwight. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless Pastor Dwight as he shares this message with us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your holy, precious name. Amen. Weddings are important events in our lives, but COVID has messed up a lot of wedding plans this year. People's expectations have been disappointed. My sister-in-law has a catering company in Victoria, and she was scheduled to do 20 weddings this season. She's now down to only doing two. People were expecting hundreds of people to attend. Now, it's just a handful. In Jesus' day, weddings were even more of a community event than they are in our culture. The whole village was involved. A wedding was a recognition by the village that those two young people are now married. The two families would have made a betrothal agreement a year or so before. The bridegroom would have been building an addition onto the family compound. The bride would have been putting together a household package, you know, cooking utensils, bedding, decorations. Then one day the bridegroom's father would say, it's time, go get your bride. And the big procession would start from the bridegroom's home to the bride's father's house. It would be noisy, joyful, exciting as the anticipation and expectations were in full swing. Similar expectations and excitement are evident in our cultural wedding preparations. Here is a video of a couple named Jill and Kevin and how they built up the expectation level in the bridal procession at their wedding.
Okay, so that probably was not a Baptist church because Baptists can't dance. Jesus went to a wedding. Oh boy. And he brought the wine. Yikes. A miracle took place that the Apostle John called the first of Jesus' miraculous signs. In our Bibles, you may want to turn over to John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the story from there. It's a well-known miracle, Jesus turning water into wine. It's part of stories and cartoons and, and skits. But in John chapter 2, it says this in the first verse. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, possibly this was a wedding that uh, Mary was related to the people. It just it mentions Mary. And the story seems to indicate Mary had some behind-the-scenes knowledge of the events. Jesus and his disciples were invited. And the disciples, really, that the Hebrew word would have been the Talmudim, the pupils of the Talmud, or the teachings, the oral tradition. And that was usual for a rabbi to go around with a group of students. You didn't go to university, you followed your rabbi. And this is the first indication that Jesus had Talmudim, the, the disciples with him. They were all invited to a wedding. Weddings are a big deal. Many of you girls started planning your wedding at three years old. Weddings carry with it the pressure and the anxiety of getting this whole production off the ground. In that video of Jill and Kevin's wedding, they had a very unique element that could have gone badly wrong. You know, pastors have to take weddings seriously because the bride and all the family, they really take this seriously. And you don't want to mess up someone's big day. It's a big deal. Weddings back in Jesus' day were an even bigger deal. It was a week-long event. People came from all over the place. And usually the whole village itself was present at some point. It was a huge celebration. A lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of dancing. Good times in general, a big fiesta. But things can go wrong at weddings. Ministers can make mistakes. I remember in Port McNeil, I was doing a wedding and uh, I had asked the whole congregation to stand as the bride came in, which was a traditional thing that we do. And then I started into the ceremony, but had forgot to tell them to sit down. And it was 10 minutes into the ceremony before I realized my mistake and had to get everybody to sit down. And it was just one of those faux pas that uh, could have been really bad. Well, a huge problem came up at this wedding. In verse 3, we read, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Well, running out of wine, that was culturally an important issue. This young couple would always be remembered in the village as the cheapskates who didn't provide enough wine. It would have been a big social disgrace. Here's his mom, Jesus' mother, Mary, and she says, the family has a problem. And here's Jesus, and he says, well, what business is that of ours? Jesus was the head of his family at this point. Joseph doesn't seem to be in the picture. He probably passed away. And the head of the family would revert to the oldest son, which was Jesus. She says, 
you're going to do something, son. And when Jesus replied, woman, it was not derogatory. It was simply an endearment of saying, mom, my time has not yet come. Or it's not time for notoriety yet. His ministry was beginning, but only six of the disciples were following Jesus at this point. Now, did Mary know something? It says this was the first of the miraculous signs. So probably there were no boyhood miracles. But Mary knew what the angel had told her at Jesus' birth. And she comes to Jesus and says, can we do something? In verse 6, we read, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, these jars were standing by for washing. Uh, you know, in COVID, it's wash your hands. Cleanliness is really important. And in Jesus' day, according to more the religious customs, they were required to wash their hands before every meal. And uh, there would also be other uh, rules around in the day. Guests were expected to wash their hands before eating, sometimes even their feet, that there was a cleanliness but it was more so for the ceremonial washing. If you, even if you had washed your hands before, before the meal, there was a ceremonial way to wash your hands. And you needed lots of water for that. But apparently these jars were now empty. They'd already been used. The people were already seated. They'd already been eating and drinking. Things were already happening. These jars were empty. We're told how big they are. There was a lot of water here, water for the ceremonial washing. A conservative estimate would be that there was 120 gallons, 450 liters. Now that is a very large wine cellar. That should last for several days in this village feast. Verse 8, Jesus tells the servants, he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Here we have the ceremonial purity transformed into the new wine of grace. This behind-the-scenes miracle met a huge need that had to do with people's expectations. People had journeyed to this wedding from far away and from near, and they had come for the special occasion. And they expected there to be plenty of food, plenty of drink. And they ran out of wine. Jesus' mother had expectations. She's asking her son to respond. Do something. She is expecting something of Jesus. In Charles Dickens' novel, Great Expectations, we have those characters of Pip and Joe and Estelle and Mrs. Haversham and Magwitch. And it was depicting the poverty and the possibilities of wealth. Pip was a poor orphan and he suddenly came into a large fortune from a mysterious benefactor, which was his great expectation. As he moves to London, he enters high society. Great expectations. It was the maturing of a young Pip into a boy from a boy into a gentleman. We think of great expectations, and in this story of Jesus, we have great expectations. People were expecting something at this wedding. Every one of us deals with expectations. You entered this year, 2020, 
expecting certain things would happen. And by March, April, your expectations were shattered as we entered into this COVID thing, which has totally changed all expectations of 2020. And going into the future, we don't know what to expect. Christmas holidays are a time when expectations just run high and huge. I remember staying awake most of Christmas Eve for year after year when I was a, a little one because I had expectations of Christmas morning. The weight of expectations and even the greater weight of unmet expectations where you're expecting something, but it doesn't happen. Finances, relationships, stuff on the job. In fact, anger in our lives is really the combination of unmet expectations and fear. When you have unmet expectations and you add to it the fear of not measuring up or the fear of uh, security or the fear of something else, a fear of looking bad, you put that with unmet expectations, you will come with anger. Some of you are like me, you're like Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation. There was a, a, a movie a number of years ago, Christmas Vacation, had become one of those Christmas classics. Clark Griswold was expecting a huge Christmas bonus, but he wasn't getting it this year. He was expecting to pay cash for all of his Christmas presents. In 1980, I graduated from Bible school. I was expecting to go to a church, and there were no churches in our fellowship available. Instead, we moved to Fort McMurray and I worked in a furniture store. I had unmet expectations. What are you expecting? What unmet expectations are you dealing with? The weight, the stress, the hurt, the pain, even the anger that results from unmet expectations. This miracle is about Jesus showing up at a wedding, at an everyday event, and it's about expectations, people's expectations. It's about Jesus stepping in and doing something great. And today is gonna to be the day that he does something great in each of our lives. The first thing we have to understand is that we need to recognize that things may get worse before God makes them better. This seems to be a principle in the Bible. In a number of these miracles we've been talking about, we see that over and over again, these Bible stories, where everything seems to get worse before it gets better. Joseph had to go to prison before he could be exalted to a place of leadership in the Egyptian kingdom. David, who had been promised that he was going to be king of Israel, found himself hiding out for his life in a cold, dark caves over and over again. Peter, the apostle Peter, had to fail before he could experience God's grace, before he could lead 3,000 people to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost, and yet he denied Jesus at the uh, crucifixion time. This world, God tells us, will get worse before Jesus returns to make it better. Jesus himself had to die on a cross before he could be resurrected before we could have that hope of eternal life and forgiveness through his death on the cross. Hope and his resurrection. Things had to get worse before God could make them better. 
A lot of us are expecting and experiencing worse things. We're out of wine, we're out of finances, our relationships are stuck or non-existent. In 1 Peter 5 verse 10, the key word here is after. After you have suffered a little while, God will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. After. After things get worse. After you've run out of wine. After the Christmas bonus didn't come in. After you've been told you're just not good enough. After your kids, your kids had yelled how much they hate you. After you've suffered a little while. There is a promise. After you have suffered a little while, God himself will restore you. And it's not suffering for sin. It's suffering in righteousness. This is a promise that God gives. After we have suffered a little while, God is going to show up and make us stronger, better. He will make life better, but we have to put our hope and our trust in him. How do we live through unmet expectations? Many are living in verse 3 of this winemaking miracle. The wine is gone, we're at the end of our rope, we're all out of hope, and we're out of options. This is when we must find our hope in Jesus Christ. We must understand that God wants to move you from verse 3 to verse 10. When you're asking yourself, what now? Jesus wants you to understand how to live through unmet expectations. We need to look to Jesus for our solution. Don't lose hope. What Jesus did at that wedding, he will do for you. Not making lots of wine, but helping you work through unmet expectations. A lot of us look to solutions in other things than Jesus. Maybe we look to solutions in, for financial issues in casinos or credit cards. Students who are struggling with school are tempted to look for a solution in cheat sheets on a test. Maybe you've had a bad relationship and you're hurting. And the temptation is to look to another unhealthy relationship. Where do you need to stop looking to yourself and start looking to Jesus? Where are you putting all your hope in your abilities and your talents, but you're running out of options? Jesus saves the best for last. Things may get worse before God makes them better. Look to Jesus for your solution. You are in verse 3. God wants you to be in verse 10. The master of the ceremony had something to say. His cup was filled with the new wine transformed from the water. And he says in verse 10, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. The wine that Jesus made was even better than the first wine. The good wine comes out. It's the good stuff, not the cheap stuff. And that's a principle in Scripture. Things may be worse before God makes them better, but he will always make them better. He saved the best till now. God's best is coming. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose hope. The best is coming. Hang on. He's going to show up. Look to Jesus for your solution. We're often feeling the weight of these expectations, these unmet expectations. But we still have not looked to God for our solution. 
It's time to look to him for your solution. The Apostle John says later on in his gospel in chapter 16, verse 24, Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. It changes today. Today we start looking. Today we start asking. Instead of stress, we feel joy. God is going to begin to take away a lot of your stress. He's going to work miracles in your little everyday operations of life. He's going to begin to replace the stress, the pain, the hurt. He's going to replace it with joy. But you've got to ask. That's what this miracle is about, putting our trust in God. Knowing that he wants to show up, knowing that he wants to work in the behind the scenes stuff, knowing that he wants to be involved in our lives, working out the miraculous, taking out the stress, turning it to joy. But we've got to ask and we've got to listen. We have to do what Jesus says to do. Do what Jesus says. Listen. In verse 5, it was Jesus' mother that said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. We've got to ask, and then whatever he tells us, we've got to do it. And it's really important, this principle of doing. In James 2.17, it says, faith by itself is dead if it's not accompanied by action. Faith is dead if it's not accompanied by action. In other words, you can come to church, you can say you believe all day long, but if you're not willing to put that action to the faith, then your faith is actually dead. What part of God's solution are you simply not obeying? What part of God's solution are you simply not putting action to? You say you want God to show up in your finances and work a miracle, but yet you don't obey. You know, God's uh, word says that we are to use our finances, that we're to tithe, to, we're to give to God's work. And sometimes we just don't do that, and we expect God to work in our finances. We expect him to bring that person to deliver a miracle in our life, in our relationships, yet we're not willing to obey. You're looking for Christian friends, yet you won't obey and get into a small group. Your relationship with your kids stinks, yet you won't obey God and spend time with them. How about your relationship with your spouse? Where are you not obeying God? Today's the day that we begin to obey. Today's the day we begin to do, we respond, we act, we ask, we listen, we obey. Because the servants obeyed, a miracle happened. It almost seems that the water turned into wine as it was being carried to the master of the banquet. Quietly and behind the scenes, Jesus made something happen. His mother knew it, his disciples knew it, the servants knew it, but the guests didn't know where it came from. The servants obeyed. They filled those waters with those jugs, they filled the jugs with water. They dipped the water into people's cups, and a miracle happened. What do you need to begin to do to obey what God is saying? The miracle happened, and it was one of the first indications that Jesus' disciples put their faith in him. They began to see him as more than just the rabbi, the teacher. Worship 
and faith are beginning to be directed toward Jesus as Messiah. As you look to Jesus for the solution, as you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to others through you. Verse 11 says, He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. As he revealed himself, others put their faith in Jesus. One of the uh, great missionary uh, pioneers was William Carey back in the 19th, uh, late 18th, early 19th century. William Carey had a motto that has just been used over and over. It's one of the great quotes from William Carey. It says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. William Carey's passionate desire was to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And that motto of his life, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, was carried throughout his life. And we notice that Carey did not say, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. He put that expectation first. So attempt great things for God, grounded in all your efforts and labor and dreams in God's grace, supported by prayer, just like it says in Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We have great expectations from God because we see the power that is there through Jesus Christ. Do you have unmet expectations with your family, with your job, with your kids, with your finances. Are you hurting today? Today is the day that we need to look to Jesus Christ for our solution. Obey what he says to do. Allow him to show up. Allow him to work some kind of miracle in my life. And when he does, give him the credit. Others are going to see it. Their lives and their faith are going to be changed because of what God is going to begin to do in you right now. God, show up, work, a miracle. So, are you hurting and trying to keep everybody from knowing it? You're hiding it, maybe, and you're trying to just fix it on your own. You're looking to yourself to solve this problem. There's only one thing that you need to do right now. Recognize that you've got to have Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus died on a cross. He was punished so that our sins could be forgiven. When our sins are forgiven, when we reach out to him, when we commit our lives to him, when we allow him to bring grace into our life, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins, we enter into a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. At that moment, when the relationship begins, he takes what is worse and begins to make it better. Where there is stress, he brings joy. Where there is anxiety, he brings peace. He changes our lives, our ordinary, ceremonial, water-filled lives. He turns them into a life that's got a little kick to it, an abundant, wine-filled kind of life. Today can be the day that your life changes and transforms, the day that you commit your life to Christ. Maybe you need to pray a prayer that goes something like this. I'll give you some words and maybe you want to pray that. Dear God, this is my moment to fully commit my life to you. Change it, make it new, 
Please forgive me of all the sin, all the mistakes. I need you to be the leader of my life, my savior, and my best friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been good working and worshiping with you this morning. Uh, can I leave you with a blessing that comes from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul has been talking about hope and the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he ends with these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for watching. Have a blessed week filled with the great expectations of God's goodness.